Hey, Safe. It's uh, great to see you. Thanks very much for joining us this evening. Thank you very much for having me. It's a yeah. So, um, so it has been two years since you published the Bitcoin Standard, um, and a lot's happened in that time, obviously. So we'll try and get to some of that. But I think, um, if you wouldn't mind, can you kind of set the stage a little bit for um, one of the things you're known for is is the Austrian economics. Um, uh, part of your thinking. Um, and I think for a number of Bitcoiners who aren't yet aware of the interrelationship between Austrian economics and Bitcoin and how they kind of go hand in hand, um, can you just give us a little bit of background on that? Yeah, um, I think um, in, in my book, I argue that uh, basically Austrian economics is the only version of economics in which Bitcoin operates. And I think this, in my mind, explains why you know, among uh, among Bitcoiners, knowledge of Austrian economics is far larger than uh, among the general population. Mm -hmm. I think uh, pretty much most people who read about Bitcoin are still uh, at least familiar with the term Austrian economics, and they realize there's um, there's a different school of economics out there, um, even if they may not be very familiar with what uh, the teachings are. But I think the reason for the the, um, um, the for for this is ultimately that um, all other schools of economics come uh, come from what is called the chartalist school or the state theory of money, in which money is considered the creation of the state. So the state decides what money is and the state passes a law and it tells you you have to pay your taxes with it and that's the end of that. Mm -hmm. And if you don't pay your taxes with it, you go to jail and then you don't have any money. So you have to use the money that um, the government is going to be mandating. Yeah. That's uh, the, the state theory of money. And according to that, you know, we need government. And in fact, one of the main rationales that is given for why we need government is that we need government to provide us with money. Because otherwise, you know, the market wouldn't be able to do it. So uh, with, uh, with, with um, Bitcoin, we see a living refutation of that because we see a global monetary system that is uh, doing billions of dollars of worth of uh, cross-border settlement every day and um, it doesn't need any government to supervise it or mm -hmm. uh, authorize it and so um, you know I think part of the reason that mainstream economists have been so dismissive of Bitcoin um, is that uh, it, it, it flies in the face of how they would like to understand money from the aspect of the government um, control the state theory of money and then the second point uh, why it makes sense in Austrian economics and why it doesn't make sense from a mainstream perspective is uh, the issue of the limited supply. Mm -hmm. And this is something, this, this is why I became fascinated with Bitcoin uh, when, when I first heard about it, because it is something that I had been uh, obsessing about, the question of uh, the money supply. Does the money supply need to grow in an economy? And in my mind, I used to think, you know, uh, there's no good reason why you would want any uh, increase in the money supply, keep the quantity fixed. And a money like that would be better. So, um, and and I've always looked for arguments that would explain why this would be a bad thing uh, right. to have a supply. I was never satisfied. So Bitcoin comes along, and lo and behold, it works. So I can understand why, if you, uh, if your entire worldview in economics is built around the idea that we have to increase the money supply for the economy to function, mm -hmm. this might be something that you're going to feel a little bit uncomfortable around and skip over and go read about something else. 
Yeah. Well, you've spoken previously about free market non-governmental money and the sound money principle, which, you know, very, very simplified, says that money is the market's choice medium of exchange, right? So the people have to choose it and um, obstructs the government's propensity to meddle with the system, right? So from an academic perspective, how complicit um, do you believe that our academic institutions um, in the West specifically have been instilled in, or, or have, have, have they been instilling this uh, inflationary-based Keynesian school within our economic and political institutions? Are they the ones that are driving this? Very. In fact, uh, I'm currently just uh, today, uh, before uh, getting on this call, I was working on my new textbook, uh, Principles of Economics, which, um, which is my uh, next big uh, project in which I'm trying to develop a, uh, a textbook in economics, uh, accessible and readable to the modern reader, and mm -hmm. uh, that communicates what I feel are the most uh, uh, central concepts in economics. And uh, I was uh, just going over one of the uh, most uh, famous uh, and most widely utilized uh, textbooks in universities today, Greg Mankiw's uh, Principles of Economics, and it's absolutely mm -hmm. astonishing. Um, you know, I was looking at savings, so I went and I searched uh, through the index for saving, and I was going through all the mentions of saving, and it's um, it's it, 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 it's like a bizarre world. Uh, version of reality. It's, it's a completely different world in which saving is just defined completely differently from how um, accountants, you know, not just common sense and what your grandmother told you about what saving is, but also what your accountant understands, the difference between saving and investment. And all these theories are built around this. Um, and I think, you know, if you, if you look at it a little bit critically, um, rather than uh, looking at it from um, the position of just deferring to authority to try to think about it critically it's quite clear that there's an answer that they want to arrive at and they're doing a whole bunch of yeah um you know numerical huffing and puffing in order to uh be able to arrive at that answer but if you try to really reason it from first principles and not based on authority not based on um arguments written in books um many years ago it i, I think you know the the, the the reason ultimately what it comes down to is that these books are written to justify state control of money. And that's uh, that's why Bitcoin is so interesting because it's... Uh, so, so given how you know committed we are already as a society to this modern monetary theory, um, if, if it were to fail, does Bitcoin benefit or is it irrelevant? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Uh, I think generally, there's uh, most Bitcoiners tend to think that you know we are uh, we're going to win by seeing hyper Bitcoinization and seeing hyperinflation in the dollar and all the other. Yeah. Things. I tend to have, I mean, a, a slightly different perspective in that I think you know it's, it's not that hyperinflation is impossible. Um, it is possible, and we're seeing it's constantly happening uh, all over the world in different times and places. But um, it's, it happens because the government engages in horrific monetary policies. Mm -hmm. It doesn't happen because of uh, Bitcoin. At least it hasn't happened yet. And mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, on the one hand, I think I, I'd say that uh, hyperinflation isn't necessarily related to Bitcoin rising. Um, and I think it's um, in the sense that Bitcoin can rise without there being hyperinflation, and in the other way, uh, we can 
get hyperinflation completely unrelated to Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to separate between those two things because the way that I look at it, Bitcoin can continue to rise in value and can continue to increase in uh, the volume of daily transactions that it conducts internationally around the world. And when it does this, it um, it, it increases in, in, in importance. And it continues to do this for another 100 years. And at the end of those 100 years, you know, you look back and you find that Bitcoin constitutes, say, 90% of global international uh, yeah. money government volume. Or, or Bitcoin is 90% of global cash balance and then all the other currencies in the world are 10%. That can happen, hypothetically speaking. Uh, it can happen even without any of the national currencies experiencing hyperinflation. So we could just get, uh, you know, slow growth in national currencies market capitalization with faster growth in Bitcoin and eventually Bitcoin overtakes them. That's independent of them going through hyperinflation. Having said that, I think if, if, if we do go through hyperinflations, I think arguably um, Bitcoin would be the solution to this in a sense because Bitcoin provides people with the alternative that if those things happen, you know, you can get your money out of your country, you can, uh, you, you can use it. So that's, yes, yeah, so, so Bitcoin would benefit from it, but only to the extent that people benefit from Bitcoin. Well, so Bitcoin growing in importance and the correlation with saving, I think, is really interesting. And I've heard you give a talk previously around, um, you know, people in that Gen X, Gen Y, uh, Gen Z generation have not necessarily been attuned to saving and that um, perhaps that has been because the inflationary value of money means, well, I'm putting this money away today and it's going to be worth far less than it than it is when I s- stuck it under my mattress, right? Um, and the even though the but Bitcoin uh, supply is fixed, it grows in importance and then therefore, you know, holds its value. Um, so let's, understanding that, if I've got that right, if we're on agreement there, um, Let's shift a little bit into um, what some of the governments are doing. So we've got CBDCs being talked about now um, and major central banks looking to experiment with digital forms of fiat. Um, And so, you know, is this a clear admission that they see Bitcoin as a threat or do they just see this as another opportunity? Are they understanding the technology now and want to get involved? Um, And does Bitcoin benefit or, or not? I mean, to be perfectly honest, the way that I see it is we've had central bank digital currencies from before Bitcoin now has existed. Yeah. Um, there's well, really digital no, for sure, right? Yeah, no, they, the majority of national currencies are essentially digital, digital currencies. Yeah. They don't exist physically. Uh, so, um, and, and I think this, um, to be perfectly honest, I haven't spent much time looking into CBDCs because every time I spend any time looking into it, it's just, it's, it's clear that it's, essentially vaporware. There's no functional uh, ability that's added on to this, only in so much as perhaps it might be that the app that will be on your phone is going to be uh, is going to be connected directly to the Federal Reserve, uh, bypassing the, your local bank. But you know, at this point, this is this is entirely uh, ceremonial. Your your local bank's existence is ceremonial. Your local bank is just part of the Federal Reserve. So, getting rid of your local bank from the equation is, is, isn't that uh, big of a deal. Um, at least you know, obviously, it is a big deal for the bank. But I'm sure they'll be all right. But if if you 
delve deep into the um, mechanics of how the modern, uh, uh, well, shouldn't say modern, the ancient 20th century uh, monetary system works. The way that money creation happens is that, you know, the banks are creating money through credit creation. And so the central bank is constantly trying to make more money and create more money, but it can only do that through more credit creation. And it can't just get credit creation to happen because we already, we've already reached the point where everybody is uh, up to their eyeballs in debt already. You know, anybody who earns a cent has securitized it and borrowed against it. And you know, it, it's been resold and hypothecated many, many times. So there's just not much more debt you can create in order to keep this uh, system uh, going in that sense. So in, in that sense, uh, CBDC might be a solution in that if you, if they stop, uh, if they turn it into uh, a system where effectively the burr can go more effectively, mm. where you know, you know, the central bank just hands out cash to people directly, and then people go spend it, then they should be able to get the inflation that they have been uh, seeking, and you know. So I don't know if you've seen it, but Fidelity uh, Digital Assets published a report last week, summarizing that the number of institutional investors in digital assets is growing um, pretty significantly, actually, um, as is the number of investors who believe that digital assets should be part of their portfolio. Um, and the numbers seemed higher than really we see in the general media or some of the major commercial banks might lead us to believe the interest is. So um, if you've seen the report, were you surprised by some of the adoption metrics that, that they've produced as part of this investor study? I saw the story, but I didn't dig into the numbers, uh, so I can't really comment much uh, on it, except to say that my my, my thirty six percent. Yeah, um, my impression is that number is just way too high. Um, yeah, I think you know maybe you could turn it in, if one client in an entire bank is um, has maybe this is the way that they calculate things. You know, one client at a bank has it, so then that bank. Is counted as part of the banks that are interested, then you could maybe get 36%. But in terms of the total market capitalization, obviously Bitcoin is nowhere near 36%, not even near, mm. you know, we're less than 0.36% at this point. I think Bitcoin might be about 0.2% of global cash balances. Um, and in terms of global investments, probably even less than that. Um, so um, I don't know. I, I think. What well, about the sentiment numbers were encouraging? So, you know, if the sentiment numbers are accurate and, you know, yeah. institutional investors identifying um, and the value proposition is starting to resonate, um, then maybe those numbers might be more important than, than the overall number of people that they say are already in. It, it, so is it still a positive directional indicator? For sure. I mean, I think the, the interesting thing is that people are... Um... People are definitely hearing about it more and more. I think that the, the uh, as the joke on Twitter goes, you know, Bitcoin's unique and proprietary uh, number go up technology just does the advertising for it. Like if you're if you're an asset manager at this point, you're looking around at assets that are not on, that are not correlated. And you look at around yeah. the previous performance. Every year, the case continues to get more and more compelling. You know, even after you get the occasional uh, once uh, one very bad year, you still look at it. On the, in the long run, the performance is, is, is it's, I think it's only a matter of time before they start asking questions more and more and looking to get into it. But I, you know, in terms of current volume, I think it's uh, it's an exaggeration, but it's a good indicator of uh, 
where we might be headed. Great. Safe, thank you so much. It was a real pleasure.